0: Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today.
1: When I was a seminary student uh, just a few years ago, I had 16 courses in seminary and I'm I'm not the best student in the world, but I happened to be in class for 12 of those courses with a guy named Mike Landsman, who was the, I'm not kidding you, the smartest guy at our school and he helped me through it. And through that time, Mike and I became friends and pray for him this week. Uh, He and Shantae and Isaiah are away on vacation. Uh, pray that they have a good time as a family. They're able to relax and come back refreshed next week. I'm continuing in this series that you've been in called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. Now, I need, I need your permission. I, I need, uh, I don't know you very well. And when we come across things in God's word that are hard to listen to, we have a tendency to, to draw back and say, what's wrong with that person that's speaking to me. Maybe it's, these passages are foreign to our culture and go against the way that we've fought for a long time. But I want your permission to say and explain the hard things of Jesus and that our hearts will be open to have it convict us and change us. Let me ask you a few questions. What makes your blood boil? What makes you steam? What makes you so hot, so fast, That you can't even think straight. Also, what makes you stew? What makes you run over and over in your mind and makes you feel as if you're going crazy? Stewing is like over a long period of time. I already see somebody pointing at somebody else up up here. (laughs) What are the ways in which you feel disrespected that make you angry? Maybe the disrespect is not overt, but it's subtle. And it's become like Chinese water torture to you. It feels like constant dripping that you've allowed to alter the way that you think about life. Maybe the disrespect comes from someone who's not close to you, like a political leader or a neighbor. But maybe it comes from a person that you interact with every day, like a boss, a spouse, or even one of your children. And once we feel disrespected or harmed, we can tend to have a very strong reaction When we feel like an injustice has occurred towards us, we tend to lash out. Many times what comes out of us is anger. And we begin to affix labels to people. And when we do that, we may feel like finally we are in the right. We may feel for a moment that what they made wrong, we are now making right. We've righted the wrong. But Jesus has another take on it, and it's really hard to hear, Just the context of the gospel of Matthew is this. Matthew is the gospel of the kingdom. Close to 60 times, Matthew uses the word, many times quoting Jesus, this idea of the kingdom of God in just 28 chapters. And I've defined the kingdom of God, this is kind of a layman's definition of the kingdom of God, as the spaces and places where Jesus Christ rules and reigns. And you'll see that this idea of the kingdom is right in this text. But in these chapters, we've come to know these chapters, uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7 as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus Christ, is either one sermon or it's a series of sermons that have been put together. And Jesus Christ is explaining what life in his kingdom, what life under his oversight Should look like. And in these passages, what Jesus Christ is doing is he's taking the Ten Commandments. And in his day, in Jesus Christ's day, the Ten Commandments were taught by the Pharisees and scribes as merely an outward expression. You obey God by doing the things outwardly. And Jesus Christ doesn't tear that down. He doesn't say, oh no, obedience isn't outward. But Jesus Christ says, obedience is both inward and outward. He's reinterpreting these commandments. He's expanding them out. He's saying, here's how you understand the Ten Commandments in light of me, in light of the person and work of Jesus Christ. This sermon has four points. One, the reinterpretation of the commandment. Two, the consequences of our anger. Three, the ways we justify our anger and for the remedy for anger. So how does Jesus Christ reinterpret the command? Well, Jesus Christ is concerned in verse 20 that the religious leadership of his day is looking at the laws and the prophets from a completely external perspective. So the teaching in his day... Was that the strict keeping of the law outwardly was your ticket to God. And Jesus Christ shocks his audience in verse 20. And he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, you will not enter the kingdom of God. And that gets people's attention. And they say, wait, wait, I can't enter the kingdom of God unless I behave in a way outwardly that's even better than the scribes and the Pharisees. And then he goes on to explain himself. He goes on to expand the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. And he explains it in light of, its, of, of himself because the scribes and the Pharisees said, hey, I never violated God's command. I never took my hands and placed them around someone's neck till they died. I never took a knife and shoved it into someone until they died. I said, they say, I, I, we've never violated this command. But Jesus says this, he says, if you've ever been angry with your brother, then you have violated the command. He expands out the commandment in light of himself, in light of his holiness, in light of his goodness, in light of all that he is. He says, not just, we don't just violate the commandment outwardly, we violate it inwardly as well. Jesus does not say that anger is the same as murder, but he does say That when anger leads to hatred, we have all violated the sixth commandment and are as guilty as murderers. He is particularly concerned with murder, anger in the heart, insults with the tongue. And finally, he's concerned with saying, you fool to people. When Jesus talked about insults with the tongue, one interpreter named William Hendrickson likened this idea of insults to calling someone a blockhead or an empty head or a buffoon. And he also wrote that to call someone a fool is like calling them an idiot or a moron. And these words might seem pretty innocuous to us. It might seem harmless. But notice what Jesus is doing. Jesus is the God of all life. And when we insult humans... We're not only doing harm to the relationship that we have with them, but we're somehow insulting the creator. See, when this command is viewed in light of Jesus, our creator, it looks different than when it's just words on a page. So that's Jesus's reinterpretation of the command, his expansion of the command. But Jesus says this, there are consequences for anger. There's consequences to anger. Friends, this is where it gets difficult. Jesus does not mince words in the Sermon on the Mount. He says some beautiful things that are pleasant for us to hear. Remember, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. But he also says this. He says, When our anger is unchecked and unrepented of, there are at least two things that we're in danger of, and they're two sides of the same coin. He says we're in danger of judgment. He uses that word. And he he also uses the term judgment hell now these are not words that we like in fact you might have friends who have left christianity or left certain types of churches because these words were used i want to remind us that these are not the words used by certain denominations or certain groups of christians these were the words that jesus chose to use now what do these words mean Jesus talks about three consequences to unchecked anger in this text. He talks about being liable to judgment. He talks about being liable to the council. And he talks about being liable to hell. Hendrickson compared being liable to the judgment to being punished for a crime. He says, if when anger goes unchecked, you could be punished for a crime, Jesus said. But he compared being liable to the council as, as being condemned to death by the Jewish Supreme Court. It's pretty serious. And when Jesus uses the term hell here, he's talking about an eternal death. Now you will meet some pretty smart people in your day who will tell you that the word hell here is really the word Gehenna, which refers to a fiery dump on the outskirts of Jerusalem, and that is true. But in his word, Jesus uses the term hell multiple times to teach about a punishment of the soul. Jesus does use the word Gehenna here, but he clearly uses it in a progression to talk about the most devastating forms of judgment. Jesus talks about eternal punishment all over the gospel. You see, Jesus loves his people enough to tell them the truth. And the truth is that if we're left to ourselves, and we dislike God, and we resent his commands, then we'll receive in ourselves the worst types of trouble here on earth and for all eternity See, those are the consequences of unchecked anger. That seems pretty harsh. But Jesus knows that unchecked anger destroys us from the inside out, not only in this life, but in the life to come. But there are ways that we justify our anger, aren't there? And and Jesus addresses that in this text. Does anyone notice the term that Jesus uses for the people that are at odds with each other in this text? Does anybody remember the terms? There was a term that was used three times. In his storytelling, he calls these people that are at odds with each other, he calls them brothers. He uses the term brother three times. This is no accident. For it is the people that we interact with most often that we have the greatest conflict. Isn't that true? Anger often creeps into our marriages. It creeps into our natural families. It creeps into our church community, our church family. And we have a tendency to justify it. We say, well, that's just the way that me and my sister are. Or that's just what happens when you've been together as long as we've been together. And Jesus is so wise. He knows the ways that we are tempted towards anger and he cuts down right to our hearts. When he describes the people that are at odds in this story, he makes it clear that these are not pagan people. These are religious people. They are like you and I. They are weekly worshipers. They take God seriously. They want to follow the teachings and traditions of their synagogue. But somewhere along the line, these people... Are sim- they're, they're, they're tempted in the ways that we're tempted. They stopped thinking about their hearts before God and only thought about their actions. I have been tempted towards that for most of my Christian life. How about you? I stop thinking about what's going on in here, and I just say, well, I'm being obedient on the outside. That's why these people can bring their sacrifices week after week, but they can act unjustly towards their brother or sister. In other words, they can go to their synagogue, but be really, really cruel to one another for the rest of the week. Which is more important to Jesus? Being rightly related to the people closest to us, or sacrificial worship and giving to Because notice he says, he says, listen, if there's an issue in a relationship, patch it up before worship. And this is kind of a trick question because Jesus wants both. He wants us not only to be rightly related to one another and the people that are closest to us and the people that are distanced from us. But he wants us to be regular sacrificial worshipers towards himself. He basically says in verse 23 and 24, If you are worshiping and you realize there is a rift between you and your brother, stop your worship, go make things right with them, and then come back and offer your gift to God. Some of us at times in our lives have allowed our anger to interrupt faithful participation in the body of Christ. Maybe we don't want to feel like hypocrites and we say, listen, I don't want to, I'm starting to get a little tense with people at this church. Maybe I just need to take a break from church for a while. Well, if if that's where you've been, I think Jesus would say you go make things right with your brother or sister and then get back to serving him and his body. See, Jesus wants both then. He wants us to be rightly related to one another and he wants us to be outwardly obedient and worshipful towards himself but Jesus just doesn't leave us alone there is a remedy here for anger and I'm always hesitant to use the word remedy by remedy I don't mean that if if when we have anger in our hearts and I've always had it sometimes to greater degrees or lesser degrees but by remedy I don't mean that it's just a quick fix And everything gets better. But there is a path that God wants to walk his people on when it comes to anger. Jesus uses the term reconciliation multiple times in this text. Jesus says that the answer for an individual, for individuals that are at odds with someone else because of anger, is for reconciliation. So, Once anger has taken them over, they are to go to their brother and begin to work to restore the relationship. That's difficult because I usually just want to defend my rights. I usually just want to defend myself rather than be more focused on being rightly related to other people. So when there's an issue in my life, I usually just want to say, well, what about him? Well, What about her? What about them? I mean, my kids are always disrespecting me. What about them? And Jesus subtly says, more important than focusing on your rights and building an argument is to be reconciled to the person. To somehow have God stamp down the pride in our hearts. Maybe there's someone here today who is harboring bitterness towards someone close to them. Maybe there's someone here today who is harboring bitterness towards a person in this room. Jesus says, do not delay. Don't let the issue fester. Don't put it off by saying internally, well, I went to church. I am justified by Jesus. I'll let it go another week. You might not get back to it if you don't deal with it today. And Jesus indicates that there are consequences for putting off forgiveness and reconciliation that can be quite devastating to us. Friends, in light of what Jesus said about anger, who can stand before God and say, I haven't violated the sixth command? See, see, the reality is, when we look at the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder, in light of what Jesus says, we're all laid bare. See, we're all guilty. Is there any hope for us? I mean, when I think about how anger can come in in a second in my life or it can fester over a long period of time, I think, man, is there any hope for me? Oh, Lord, if you, O oh Lord, kept the record of wrongs, who could stand? If we take an honest inventory of our lives in light of Jesus, and his interpretation of the Sixth Commandment. All of us are guilty of this command. We've all hated in our hearts. We've all questioned someone's intelligence. We've all resented people. We've all hurled insults, haven't we? What's the hope for us? Should we just walk out of here depressed and say, well, I'm guilty. Jesus was not interpreting, reinterpreting these commandments merely so you and i could do better this week although i hope that we do he was reinterpreting the commandments so that we might continue to come to the end of ourselves and say god i'm a commandment violator i have violated every part of your law i don't deserve your love but i need your love and i know i can't earn it god i see in fresher and fresher ways how we need the righteousness of jesus christ i need my guilt To be placed on you, Jesus. I need the power of the death of Jesus Christ. That's forgiveness. And I need the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's new life. That's new obedience. Thank you for your forgiveness and for your Holy Spirit, God. Continue to renew me in repentance and faith. For our only hope is our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who took on insults who took on anger, who took on injustice and gives his goodness and his grace to people like us who don't deserve it. And he gives it as a free gift. God, shape us by that truth. In your name.
0: Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. We pray that these sermons have been a blessing to you, and we ask that you would help us out if you could. We are in desperate need of some major repairs. If you could go to a GoFundMe we've set up, GoFundMe.com slash Zionstone. If you could uh, go there and uh, donate towards uh, our needs, we would be greatly appreciative of that. Again, thank you so much for listening. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you want to get a hold of me, you can reach out at landsman at gmail.com or check us out on our Facebook page, Zionstone UCC, as well as our uh, website, zionstoneucc.com. God bless.